Welcome to Real Wealth, Real Health, the show that empowers you with insights, information, and inspiration to achieve your version of financial wellness. Learn how to balance living a full life today with planning for the future. This podcast is brought to you by Alpha Investing, a real estate-centric private capital network that provides exclusive investment opportunities to its members. And now, here are your hosts, Ada Piedrico and Daniel Coca. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Real Wealth, Real Health. Today, we're speaking with Alina Triga, who is the founder and managing partner of Samo Financial. Samo Financial is a boutique private equity firm that specializes in helping busy business owners and IT professionals passively invest in commercial real estate. Alina has helped her clients acquire and invest in over 2,200 apartment doors, 45 million in self-storage, and over 10 million in mobile homes. Alina's business motto has been articulated well by Warren Buffett when he said, someone is sitting in the shade today because someone else planted a tree a long time ago. Her passion is to teach others how to build wealth by investing passively. Alina has a very inspiring story from immigrating to the U.S. with her mother and living with very little to start out with, to graduating cum laude with a degree in accounting, working for one of the big five accounting firms, all the way to completing an MBA while working in the IT industry and being a mother herself. Her inspiration and motivation to invest in real estate stems first and foremost from her seeking a way to reduce her taxes. In our conversation, we hear about Alina's holistic approach to passive real estate investing, including sponsor selection, deal diligence, of course, the tax implications of a deal, and the importance of transparency across every transaction and interaction. All right, Alina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adapia. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to our conversation. You have you have a background very similar to our our founder and CEO Fark, and so I'm really I'm really looking forward to diving into your your story and, you know, the big topic of the day is is the due diligence and and building, you know, building a portfolio. So, why don't we get started with a little bit of your story? Like, how did you get started as a passive real estate investor? Sure. So to tell you my real estate story, I would have to step back a bit and talk about how my uh, overall educational and professional journey had started, which was back when I was going for my undergraduate degree. So I came here as an immigrant uh, with my mom and with the decision to decide to make as to what kind of career to pursue. And, you know, when you're a poor immigrant with, with nothing in your pockets, no man in our life, it was my mom and I and her sister and her daughter. So four women and a cat, they had a cat. So this was our only male. I had to decide what kind of career to pursue. I needed a career that will give me the future that will support um, us. And I looked at several opportunities and uh, many people said hey you're good with numbers you will probably enjoy accounting so that's how I chose accounting for my undergrad went for it never really liked it but then uh, I have a friend who always said hey you know when you get paid you'll enjoy it because it's a well-paying job and stuff so I thought that that'll be the case so I got my first job before I went graduating from college with one of the big fives at the time Ernst Young and 
even though the the numbers, I mean, the, the compensation looked great. I could not force myself to enjoy it. I just didn't really like it. So I thought, okay, maybe it's public accounting. Maybe I should try private. So I tried that for a little while after. And that still didn't make me any happier. So I decided that I have to make a career transition and found myself in information technology world, leveraging my accounting education and experience and testing accounting applications. And so I stayed in the informational information technology field for over 20 years and really enjoyed the work that I was doing, which was different over the years, but it was mainly to be the liaison between the two worlds, the world of business and the world of technology. And I like that because I understood how each of the two sides were speaking and I was able to interpret their language and kind of connect the two worlds. So I stayed with that and obviously my career progressed and my husband career progressed as well. And while our careers were progressing, tax brackets, and as a former tax um, accountant, I kept thinking to myself, you know, we get hit with this higher taxes every year. And now this AMT, alternative minimum tax, started to kick in. I need to find a way to lower taxes. And so real estate kept coming in, in front of me as I was thinking about this, as I was reading different things. And I finally decided to take action and started digging deeper into real estate and understand what does it mean to become a real estate investor. And so my journey in my real estate investing journey began roughly about seven or eight years ago when I finally pulled the plug and I became an equity partner in a first syndication. And, you know, I can probably talk forever about that first experience, which was uh, very stressful, hard wrenching. Uh, but after the first one, after I invested in the first one, it kind of escalated and it took off. And I invested in the second, third, and fourth, and so forth. And after a while, after talking to my colleagues at work and friends and family, and uh, mind you, I'm surrounded by a lot of financial folks because I, number one, I live close to Wall Street in New Jersey, across the border from New York. Number two, a lot of my friends have also similar background to my accounting, finances, and none of them have ever heard the word syndication. And it's just boggled my mind how come, you know, I went through two degrees. I had the accounting undergrad, MBA in finance. I've never heard of syndications. None of my friends ever heard of it. People don't know it exists. And yet I am reaping all the rewards of it, passively investing. I have to do something about it. I have to help all these other people find a way to passively invest in real estate, have a portfolio outside of Wall Street, and also find a way to lower their taxes, which was why I selected real estate investing in the first place. And that's how the idea of Sama Financial was born with the sole purpose to help other people. And obviously it evolved over the last three or so years, but that's, that's how I began my journey. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And, and it's not dissimilar from how a lot of other people have started their journey where they're looking for vehicles to lower their taxes or more recently in the past few years, I'm sure you've seen this also for yourself looking for passive income because they know there's a better way. There's the volatility in the stock market. You, I wanted to touch on a couple of things you got started. You said seven or eight years ago. So that would put us 
right at the height of the Great Recession. How did that go when you started there? Great question. So again, I've put a lot of efforts into doing my research and looking at various syndications, various offerings, learning more about different operators. And for me personally, it always comes down to investing with the right partner operator. So I put a ton of effort into doing that. And when I selected the operator to invest with, it was based on multiple factors. Number one, it was their track record. Number two, it was their approach to business overall and how they were selecting and buying properties and repositioning. I I liked uh, how they were more or less repeating the same process in, in the same geographic uh, vicinity and implementing the same strategy over and over again. And it, it was more or less buy, reposition, refinance, and repeat the sort of process. And that's what this operator have done and was continuing to do. And that's how, uh, after speaking with them, I decided that, that this is who I'm going to select. What, what also reinforced my decision was there was this one funny story. So at one point during the offering, the operator had emailed all of the potential investors for the offering. And instead of BCCing the people, they just, they, I guess by mistake, they CC'd everyone. So I took the opportunity and emailed every single person on the list asking about, about the, the operator, whether they worked with them in the past and what was their outcome. And I received two responses. I spoke with two people that worked with the operator in the past and that reinforced my decision to, to work with the operator. And actually, I, I'm still very good friends with both, both of these people, but the operator never repeat that, repeated this mistake again, but it, it helped me to make my first step. Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone's made that BCC uh, mistake. I know I've made that mistake before in my past as well, but you know, like you pointed out something really important, which is what we talk about so, so much is the, the diligence on the, the sponsor and their track record. And really your story around the emails is that you also sought out other investors so that you're really understanding, you know, from their personal perspective, how did it go? You know, how do they like working with them? And, you know, what I would love to, what I would love to, to talk about with you too, is, you know, there's the sponsor diligence and, you know, you mentioned track record now with this, with this sponsor and with the sponsors, let's say that you work with today, if you still work with other sponsors, you know, what, what about the track record specifically are you looking for? Like, what are some of the key things that an investor should be thinking about as it relates to the sponsor? Sure. Excellent question. So first and foremost, I want to see the sponsor being transparent. And uh, if someone tells me that, you know, I have an excellent track record, I never made any mistakes and everything has always gone perfectly well. Well, I'm going to question that because every single person makes their mistakes. And granted, some make more expensive mistakes and other less expensive, but every single person makes a mistake. So I want them to be transparent and tell me. And that mistake could be instead of the promise 
18% IRR, the investors after the sale only received 3% IRR. Yes, that's that's a mistake and there are lessons learned to it, but the sponsor is fully transparent. Yes, I have made that mistake and ever since that happened, I have corrected that mistake with, with such and such steps, but I want them to, to share it and not me have to find out uh, from someone else, whether it's some of their investors or maybe it's someone else that knows them really well. I want us to come directly from the sponsor and I want them to tell me about their past mistakes. And because that, that reinforces the point that if there is something that will happen in the future, but because there are always things that happen in, in any line of business, they will be transparent about their mistakes and they will share. In addition to that, in terms of the track record, I want to see some consistency. So if they're implementing certain strategy, let's say it's a value-add strategy in a particular market, and they've been in this market for four to five years, let's say it's Atlanta, Georgia, and now the sponsor decided, oh, I'm going to go into a new market and I'm going to now invest in Tampa, Florida. Well, it's not exactly around the corner. It's a brand new market and it's a distance away. Not to say that they cannot implement the strategy, they certainly can, but I want them to have a specific plan of action as to how they're going to put it in place. Do they have the team members already identified or are they still in the process of identifying? Do they have boots on the ground? And if, if these boots on the ground is someone reliable who they completely trust and will be acting uh, on their behalf and on behalf of investors. So questions like that always come up. And this is something that I typically find out by having a conversation with the sponsor. And, you know, I, I actually have a list of suggested questions that... Um, definitely more than happy to share with your audience if someone wants I have a set of questions for both for the operators and then set of questions for if operators want to ask investors so all of those have come from years of experience and the years of accumulating feedback from multiple investors sponsors friends and so forth yeah that set of questions would be would be great if we can include it in the in the show notes in in the link and yeah, it's all, it's all really important. What I find also interesting with your, with your background and we'll get here in a minute is that you go sponsor first and one might be led to think you would go deal first because that's where all the numbers are. Right. And, and that's, I think what a lot of people do believe in the beginning. And I know that, you know, I did too, where I thought, Oh, you know, here's a deal. I got to understand the deal. Is it going to make me money? What are the risks of the deal? But actually when you speak to experienced syndicators and investors, they all say, and I say the same thing nowadays, there's tons of deals. You have to be really, really sure about the sponsor. So, you know, it's very telling because that even you go there first. And I would imagine that you have a very detail-oriented approach to the numbers of a deal, but it's it's sponsor first, which is the same way we do it at at Alpha. And 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 very similar to when you were saying about, you know, when a sponsor goes into a new market, because that localized experience and connections are so important, right? Like they can't just flip into another market and succeed just because they want to go there because everyone's going there because it's a hot market. There's so many things to know. And, you know, having boots on the ground there is, is also, you know, clearly fundamental, especially I would say it's a warning sign. If they're going to go, I'm going to try this market and then over here and then over here, instead of saying, 
this is a new market. Here's why we're targeting it. Here's the data. Here's the person that I've like set into this market so that we're opening it to be our next big market. And so that's a different, you know, that's a different strategy. So I think that really speaks to strategically if a sponsor is just kind of flying around looking for a good deal or actually really thinking through a market strategy. For sure. And I, I want to dig a little bit deeper, uh, if you don't mind, in, in terms of understanding how the sponsor works, how to deal with them, and understanding whether sponsor and my interests are aligned, and how I was thinking. When uh, I was much younger, I came across Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I've ever since I reread it, probably at least three to four times. But uh, when it first came to me, I was amazed, not so much by the content, but how uh, rudimentary uh, the principles are that Del Carnegie had compiled together in his book, but how much true of it it is. It, it was so basic, like if, if you pay attention to the person you're speaking with, if you really make it into a conversation where the conversation is all about this person, they they will definitely want to continue speaking with you because they realize that you're paying attention to them and you, you really value them as an individual. And I mean, there are so many other uh, principles that Dale Carnegie talks about, but I, I use the same principles when I speak with investors nowadays or even earlier when I was meeting and talking to sponsors. If I saw that they were paying attention to me, to my questions, my concerns, and explaining the risks of the investments or how the strategy is going to work and so forth, I knew that they're paying attention to details, they're hearing my concerns, and they treat me as an individual. They don't look at me as just some you know, number, oh, it's it's another 50K to my investment. That, that would be an immediate turnoff point for me. So, so that the human factor played a huge role for me personally. And, you know, you and I can talk long about this because some may call it intuition, some may call it gut feeling or something else. But having that connection, if you will, with the other person, seeing that they care about you definitely played a, a huge part in making the decision, yes, I'm past the fact that this is the sponsor that will will have my attention. I can move on to my next step and research the market. So that's my thought process. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, when we call those, or I, you know, we call those, I call those the intangibles, like you said, like the, the feeling that you get from somebody and there's intangibles that you can't put the numbers on them, but how they communicate, like how they answer your questions. Are they, you know, are they short with you? Are they annoyed with you? Like, you know, they're, they're, those are, those are some intangibles there and also in how they present their information. <laughs> so even just in how they present it, like uh, it's intangible tangible slash tangible, but what does their model look like? Does it make sense? Is it messy? You know, and then, and then we can dive into like things like the assumptions. So, you know, maybe we can go there now, you know, you've gone through and you feel like relatively comfortable with a sponsor and you say, okay, like, I'd like to see your deal. What are some of the things that you focus on at that stage? So before I move into the deeper deal analysis, I typically take a look at the market fundamentals. I evaluate the infrastructure overall market. Does uh, the uh, immediate geographic vicinity have access to a large airport? W will there be access to, to this 
property or project if I want to fly in. Are, are there a lot of schools, universities, hospitals in the area? Is the area well built in? How does the population growth look like? What does the job market look like? What are the major employers? If I see, for example, that the prevailing population in the area is working at the military base, I, I get concerned because, you know, military base can People can come and go, and I, I want to have some sort of stability. I want to have the job, the employers that will be there for a very long time and also not going to be replaced by the next Amazon. So uh, these should be factories, hospitals, educational institutions that are present and are continuing to bring more interest and employing more people and giving more jobs uh, to the local population. So I, I, so I want to see that upward trend and also the demand, depending whether it's uh, apartment complex or maybe self-storage or another asset class. I, I want to see the demand for this particular asset class in a specific geographic vicinity before making decision. Yes, it, it looks promising. I can now move and review the deal. And so when evaluating the deal, as you mentioned, the I, I like to look at the numbers, but the numbers alone do not make a story. So the story is made when you look at the compilation of two things, when you look at the numbers and when you look at the qualitative analysis and you put them together. And what's also important when looking at the numbers, don't look at them in silos. For instance, someone may say, oh, the IRR for this project is 15%, so I'm going to go for it. No, IRR alone tells you nothing. 15% IRR can mean so many different things. So always look at it in compilation with the cash on cash, average annual return, equity multiple, and so forth. And then once you look at the numbers together, put the next layer on top of it, which is the strategy that the operator is planning to implement. So Again, let's look at the value-add apartment complex example. So if the operator is saying that the rents are below the market in the area and we're going to go in and we're going to reposition 70% of the unit, we're going to put new kitchens, new bathrooms, we're going to put everything new. We don't need stainless steel appliances because it's just not going to support the market, but we can put probably black appliances and middle of the market type of kitchen because this is a solid B area and that's what it supports. Fine. They may also say that we see that uh, there is a trend for a lot of owners to come in with, with the pets, especially nowadays. Ever since the pandemic had started, there are statistics that saying that a lot of people have started buying pets and if the trend is going upward and there is an area where you can potentially build a pet park well then build that pet park because that will only attract more of owners with pets and if you have a lot of studios a single family i'm sorry or one bedroom apartments then obviously those folks that that have pets and prefer to live in a smaller setting but have access to the pet park will be attracted to, to your apartment complex. So see what the fundamentals present, uh, what the local market presents, and whether the strategy that the operator is planning to implement makes sense in a particular area. And if something doesn't make sense, then always ask a question. 
and you know sometimes it's just easier to hop on the call than go back and forth in the email and have a conversation with the sponsor ask them how is the strategy going to be implemented how do you see it sustaining if uh, you know if we go through the session or if uh, something else has happened will happen how do you see that's been implemented in a time frame that's presented in your presentation make a decision based on that I think it'd be helpful for our listeners to take a deeper dive into the specifics, right? I, I think we can probably all agree that, you know, you want to live uh, or you want to buy a property in an area where, you know, the qualitative factors make sense and the the demographics support, you know, your your rents and whatnot. But like, what are the actual figures and metrics, the the, the kind of KPIs that, that you focus on as, as you kind of work through any given property? Great question, Daniel. So I always look at the underwriting component as well. When I see the underwriting, I, I want to make sure that the underwriting is reflected of a specific geographic location, that it is reflective of what's going on um, in the economy overall and then in that area in particular. If let's hypothetically say that the area dictates that the vacancy in the area is 5%, well, that that may be, is, that's, that's definitely a, a great point, but I want to see the operator add the cushion and make the vacancy be higher and maybe start at a 15%, especially if they're doing some heavy repositioning and then gradually go go down, keeping in mind that while they're repositioning units, uh, uh, there will be some turnaround time and they will definitely have higher vacancy number. By the same token, when Again, I'm looking at the uh, bottom of that underwriting, not at the income, but the um, expense part. I want to see the expenses be lowered gradually, not go from 58% drastically to 41%. That that would be a huge change. So I want them to be decreasing gradually, and I want to have the explanation behind it. Maybe right now utilities, for instance, water and electric is paid by the landlord, and the operator is planning to bring Rob's system, ratio utility billing system, where they gradually start putting the expenses, for instance, water bill back on the tenants. Again, I want to see that gradual progression, doing it as the leases expires, which may entail that it will take anywhere from a year to potentially two years until all of the water bills are turned over to tenants. And that's why that water bill expense cannot increase overnight, not even over one month, but it would gradually decrease over a period from let's say one one to two years when when the leases are turned over. So I want to see the story behind the numbers and I wanted that story to line up with the numbers that are presented in the underwriting. So that that brings up something that I think is really important. This example are some of the things that we look at when we're underwriting, but aren't necessarily expressed. Let's say when, like if like if if we as Alpha or like you as Samuel, like you're presenting a deal, there's there's so much that's behind what's presented, and I think it's a really great example of you know, the diligence factors that are behind the scenes that is, that are really important for people to understand that this is the work that, that we're doing. And that to your point about before, it's not just what's the IRR and it's not even just what's the cash on cash, but there's really so much work that goes into understanding the risk factors and the mitigating factors. You know, I've probably said this a million times, but like Anne Lynn, our head of underwriting says the devil's in the details. 
And that is a great example of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's always important to dig into details. And I always, always encourage my investors to understand the deal contents and ask any questions they like before they make the decision to invest. If something doesn't feel right, if they're not comfortable with the offering, if it doesn't make sense for any reason, I I always tell them, ask all your questions to make sure that you completely understand what you're going for. Read not only the offering memorandum, but also go over the private placement memorandum and ask anything that does or does not make sense to make sure that you're fully understanding what you're investing in because syndications in general tend to last longer. So you plan to be invested for at least five to 10 years and make sure that you're comfortable putting your money away for that time and potentially not being able to access it during that time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's the same thing that that we say to our investors as well. And I'm curious about your approach too. Like like you said, there's so much similarity around. Like we tell people, like ask your questions and be comfortable. And you know, we also tell people you might not be comfortable. Like there might be a really aggressive financing strategy by this particular sponsor that you just you can't get comfortable with. We're comfortable with it because of how you know we've looked at everything. And you might not be, and that's okay. So we also tell people like, if you're not comfortable, there will be another deal that maybe you're more comfortable with that has a return profile. And so it's it's always just a matter of letting people know, hey, there will be another deal. There's please don't you know no FOMO. There's no missing out. It'll be okay. You'll you'll get some good returns. You know how do you communicate that to your investors too, or do you? Because you know sometimes you hear people that are more on the like big heavy sales side and they, they, oh, I want your money. I want your capital. And, and it's really, that's not the point, right? Like you want to make sure this person for five to 10 years isn't so uncomfortable also that they might be calling you every day because they're uncomfortable. That's not the kind of relationship, you know, any of us are, are looking for either. Yeah, no, it, uh, great, great point and great question. So for me, it all started because of taxes and tax implications. And so even to this day, you know, because of my tax background, when I look at every project, my first question, what are the tax implications? Uh, do I get any benefits from it? Is there a depreciation? Is someone going to do cost segregation and, and I'm going to get that accelerated depreciation up front? And, and so while it's important to me, I try to explain my point of view, and I, but I always start with asking the investor, uh, what is most important to you? Why are you doing what you're doing? And some people are interested in growth opportunities because they're somewhere in the middle of their career. They're at the point where they're putting money away because they want to have a comfortable retirement down the road. Other people may be at a different point. Like I had one investor who was a digital nomad and he said that while I'm traveling, I want to have access to income. So for him, the immediate cash on cash return was a lot more important. So what happened in that case, we had a project where we created multiple asset classes and they were catered to uh, different needs. Some concentrated more on a higher cash on cash return. They would offer that cash on cash on a higher level, but less to no future appreciation where other asset class would concentrate on lower cash on cash return while offering that higher gratification at the end. If you were to stay with us until that asset is disposed of, let's say seven years down the road, then uh, you would 
double or whatever your investor at, at the end investment at the end of that term. So we always, always listen to what our investor needs are and where possible, we're trying to accommodate it by creating these different classes and by explaining to them, hey, you know, there are opportunities to invest in this investment because it meets your goal. But hey, if it doesn't meet your goal, it doesn't meet your goals. If it's not what you were looking for or you're not comfortable with the strategy, then just continue educating yourself and stay connected to see what the next opportunity that we'll have and will bring and whether that will make a lot more sense for you. So that's our approach. Yeah, absolutely. And and one thing too, I want to let people know, you have a lot uh, of videos on LinkedIn. You do a really good job of creating these videos that are kind of, they're not cartoon, that's not the right word, but they're, there's these like educational videos. And and so for anyone, you know, on LinkedIn to find Alina, it's, it's I think it's a really important strategy too, because it is very much like, you know, helping people understand and, you know, potentially answering their questions ahead of time. Thank you, Adapia. Yeah, so while using cartoons, the goal of these videos is to really educate our investors on what syndications are about, how to approach it, and make it into something that's easily accessible and easy to understand for for anyone without any kind of finance or um, accounting degree and so no matter what you do in life in life if you uh, start educating yourself on syndications i'm sure you would be able to fully understand that and the goal of my videos is to support and reinforce that understanding of how syndications work. I was saying thank you. And yeah, I agree. So I, I, I would love for people to go and see you on LinkedIn and, and, and watch these videos. And so just a couple questions to wrap up, I guess, in this, in the very simplest terms for you, I know we talked about this being about maybe taxation and that's how you started, but why in your opinion and your experience are real estate syndications equity, why are they good passive income investments for somebody that just wants that wants in a nutshell? The first reason and I know you're going to laugh, but the first reason is that the tax advantages. I, I just can't, I can't think of anything better than the tax advantage. And it's very difficult to translate it into the numbers, but the advantage is so significant that you know, let me just give you a, a specific example. Let's say someone is in a 32% tax bracket and they invested in a syndication for five years that purchased this 100 doors apartment complex. Well, guess what? If this apartment complex will undergo cost segregation study after it's purchased, then number one, the depreciation component on it is going to increase. And what it essentially entails that even though you may be receiving dividends from this syndication from the beginning, your tax return will show so-called paper losses. And these paper losses are going to be pretty significant at the beginning. And even though you may or may not be able to take advantage of them at first, but guess what? They're going to stay with you and they will carry forward. So by the time the investment is sold and hopefully sold at a gain, you have the gain that's also passive that you can take and then net against these accumulated paper losses. So the amount that you will be taxed will be lower. And not only that, the maximum percentage at which you're going to be taxed is 20%. Well, if you're in 32% tax bracket and you're taxed at 20% five years later, number one, you from the beginning, you're saving 
12% because you're the high tax bracket. Number two, you haven't been paying taxes on it for the first two or three years because of that depreciation accumulating. So that benefits is much, much stronger and much, much higher than 12% overall. Think of it as time value of money. Number two, when you're investing in syndications, when people talk about passive and sometimes compare it to turnkey investment, syndication is really passive because all that you're required to do is you're required to review the offering and make a decision. Yes, I will invest it and no, I will not invest it. And that's it, your work is done. Well, if you talk in turnkey, when you buy a single family house as a turnkey, yes, someone else had repositioned it and someone else had placed tenants and gave you a property management to manage it. But guess what? If something happens, if your single family house, let's say, is located in Houston and we go back to last week when we had this snowstorm in Houston, guess what? The pipes may, may burst and you will get that call at two o'clock in the morning because it's your house and your property manager what wants to know, do you really want to invest that significant amount of money and buy copper pipes or plastic pipes or whatever else, but it's your house, you're the owner, you have to make the decision when it comes to a much larger purchase. So that's not completely passive to me. And that's why I like syndications for someone who is busy with their career, with their personal life, hobbies, whatever it is, or just don't want to be bothered with tenants and toilets. I think syndication is one of the best ways to have that passive investment. And the point number three, and it's certainly not the last one, I can go on and on, but the, the point number three is if you take a, a typical W-2 employee or a business owner or Let's start with W-2 employee. What they have is they probably have 401k. They may have had IRA along the line. And guess where those accounts are invested? Well, most likely it's back to uh, the good old Wall Street. It's probably stocks, bonds, ETFs, and mutual funds. Where's the diversification? If we get back to um, the almost a year ago stock market crash that, you know, when the market went down by, I don't remember how much, 20, 30%, that may happen again. And on top of it, no one can ever tell you when that next crash is going to, to happen. Well, that's where real estate comes in. It gives you a, a perfect way to hedge against that volatility by diversifying into something that's completely independent of Wall Street and has its own implications, of course, but it has completely different dynamics and it will help you to diversify and have that hedge against the stock market volatility. And those are the top three reasons why I like real estate syndications investments in general. Thank you. So comprehensive. And, and it's great because you started with taxes and actually our, our, our episode before this was with a CPA who specializes in real estate. And so he went through some of the, the details. Having the description the way you have it is actually really nice. It's very complimentary to how he described it as well. So, so thank you so much for that. And that last question is a question we ask all of our guests and it's what does wealth mean to you it's to be able to leave a legacy after myself but not in a actual physical kind of way more in a way of 
being able to remember not for who I am, but for, for the things that I've done, for ways I, I've helped other people and touched other people's lives and impacted them and helped them in a way that will continue putting smile on their faces and will continue them to keep coming back to me and thanking for, for the work that I do and gratification for just the 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 mere reason that we know each other and that we exist in this world so to me that's the biggest way to to build wealth and live a legacy after myself oh that's beautiful i love that so much well alina thank you so very very much for joining us today and sharing your expertise and your knowledge and this there's so much information in here that that will want to re-listen to this and really like thank you for also the very specific examples and you know just for everything that you do it's such a pleasure to have you as part of our our network and we'll include links in the show notes so that people can find you and and see these videos that i know i've been enjoying a lot on on LinkedIn as well. And so again, thank you very, very much. And you know, you and I will be talking soon anyways. <laughs> so thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Real Wealth, Real Health. We hope that you've enjoyed today's episode and found it both informative and insightful. We welcome all your questions and your feedback about today's episode. And especially, we welcome your questions about specific topics that you would like us to cover. So shoot us an email at podcast at alphai.com. And if you have a moment, we really appreciate ratings and reviews as it helps us grow our online community and our interactions with you. And we'll also be linking to a number of relevant articles on topics that we might have touched on during our conversations. Some of them are broad, some of them are technical, but we're always aiming to provide information that helps you better understand the mechanics of building this healthy financial foundation, especially if you're looking to do this with real estate. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.